But we're doing a baptism. And when I think about baptism, my mind always goes back to that sequence in The Godfather. You know what I'm talking about. That baptism scene, if you've never seen The Godfather, you just aren't an American, all right? I know it's kind of a crazy movie, but, but I, I just always think about it. It's like Michael, Francis, Rizzi, do you renounce Satan and all of his works? I do renounce them. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, that sequence is crazy. It'll give you, traumatize you watching it. So well done. But I think that sequence really gets at something that all of us intuitively know. And that's that it doesn't matter what you do in here if it doesn't affect how you're going to live out there. I mean, maybe you're planning on being baptized today, and, and maybe you're planning, like, murders, and there's, you got a whole hit team doing hits all around the city. Maybe you should just cancel the baptism. No, I, I just, I'm just kidding around. But you know what I'm getting at here, is that God cares about your heart. He doesn't care simply about rituals and what you do outwardly, some superstitious thing. He cares about who you are. And maybe you grew up around fake Christians. Maybe you grew up around phony Christians. Maybe you've known people at a time who've given you a bad taste. Why? Because they can get all churchy and all religious and all superstitious Sunday, but they act completely different the rest of the week. Well, I want you to know that God is just as bothered by the hypocrisy in the church as you are. And that's why it's such a persistent theme in the scripture. So the first thought we're going to say about baptism this morning is this. It's a profession, not a potion. It's a profession, not a potion. In medieval days, when baptisms would go on, maybe you've read about how Charlemagne or Clovis or some of these other uh, medieval kings, they'd go and conquer a people. They'd go and maybe conquer the Franks or the Goths or, or the Visigoths or uh, the Germanic tribes, and they would do these forced baptisms. I mean, it was straight up nacho libre status, like be baptized, right? Unwilling, like just forcing people to be baptized. Pope Innocent III actually said this. He said, those who are immersed, even though reluctant, do belong to ecclesiastical jurisdiction, at least by reason of the sacrament. It's like, they didn't even want to go in the river. It's like, no, don't you take me to that river. Don't you take me in there. You know, they're forcing them, just dunking them, forcing them in. God isn't interested in that. God isn't interested in just some outward sign. You know, I've heard that great communicators repeat themselves. You know, I've heard that great communicators repeat themselves. You know, I've heard, no, I'm just kidding. But what do I always repeat here? I'm constantly saying salvation is a gift you receive, not something you achieve. That salvation is a gift you receive, it's not something you achieve. That it's about what Jesus did. That it's about what he accomplished on the cross. That it's, it's not about earning, it's about accepting. See, it's not good people who go to heaven. It's not religious people that go to heaven. It's forgiven people that go to heaven. And so doing some ritual isn't what's going to make you right before God. You know, uh, there's, there's a fancy term within theology called syncretism. And that's when you try to take a pagan thought and combine it with a Christian thought and kind of weave it together. And that's what went on. And, and as church history marched forward, people did get superstitious. And people did get ritualistic. The pagans thought that the gods were always angry and that you'd have to do these certain rites and these certain rituals and these certain performances, this certain sequence of events. And if you didn't do it quite right, 
well, then Thor might be angry with you, you know, or, or Loki might come and get you. But the Bible teaches that God needs nothing and has everything. And that there's absolutely nothing you and I can do to satisfy God's justice. There's nothing we can do to trick God, to make him forget the wrong things that we've done. But there's also nothing we can do to make God love us less. Because his love is based in who he is. And to be made right with God, all you have to do is put your faith in him. Baptism can't save you. Getting in this water cannot wash away your sins. And some of you might think, well, I don't know. I've read some verses in there. Well, try on this verse for size. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes this. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. If you're not familiar with church, the word gospel means great news. You see, getting baptized is good advice. But believing the gospel, that's great news. It's the news of what God has done. So baptism isn't something that you do to achieve God's love or to really seal the deal necessarily. It's, it's, it's not like, you know, you need salvation like Nacho. He's like, he's, like, he's like, I'm a little concerned about your salvation. Why have you not been baptized? You know, that, that whole mindset, this does not secure your salvation. Well, what then does it do? Well, if you've already begun a relationship with Christ, if you've already put your trust in God, if you've already put your hope in Christ, what this does is it's a turning point. It's a line in the sand. Really, it's a way to go public. It's kind of like going Facebook official, all right? Because you might have had a relationship for a long time, right? But when things get really serious, what do you do? You flip that status. You make it public. You're going big. And so if you're getting baptized today, what you're doing is you're saying, I've got this relationship with God. It's not based on who I am. It's based on who he is. It's not based on what I've done or how good I am. It's about what he's done, how good he is. But now I'm going public with it. Now there's no turning back. Now I'm coming down in these waters to symbolize the fact that I've got a new life, that I've been cleansed, that I've been washed away, that old life behind me, and there's no turning back. It's getting official, all right? You're making it official. Next thing is that everyone needs it, but anyone can have it. Whether you've been around church a long time or not, maybe you've heard of Jay the B. Jay the B? Justin Bieber? No, no, no. John the Baptist, all right? You've heard of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, he would fit right in here in Portland. This guy was so organic, man, keeping it authentic, simple living, outdoors, like eating raw honey, handmade clothes. That's John the Baptist, right? But what did he do? He baptized people in the Jordan River. But what's weird about what John did was that he was baptizing Jewish people. Now, baptism actually goes back to the Old Testament. It goes back to Gentiles uh, uh, coming and saying, you know what, I don't want to be a non-Jew anymore. I want to believe in the God of Israel. They would get baptized. But what was so whack about what John was doing was he was telling Jewish people they needed to get baptized. See, baptism in the Old Testament, it was like people going like, oh, you're an outsider. Well, if you want to be made an insider, you're kind of dirty. You better clean off first. But what was Sean doing? He was going to the religious people. He was going to the perfect little Jewish people. He was telling them, you need to repent. Whoa. You need to change your mind. That's what the word repent means. It means to change your mind. You need to change your mind about God. You need to change your mind about what you're doing, what you're living, how you're living. Check out this verse, Luke chapter 3, verse 7 
It says, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. That's gnarly. It's a brood. It's a flock. It's a gaggle of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't begin to say to yourselves, oh, but we have Abraham as our father. You know, Father Abraham had many sons, Jewish, right? For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. What's his point? He's saying, hey, you insiders, you're actually spiritual outsiders. Everybody's a spiritual outsider. Later, John's going to say to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. I need to repent. I need to be changed. He's saying everybody is a spiritual outsider. And sometimes the people who think that they're insiders can be the worst outsiders. I had a great conversation with somebody who comes to this church, loves this church. They're not yet fully you know, on board. They don't fully consider themselves a Christian yet. They're growing. They still have questions. They still have doubts. But one of their questions was like, hey, weren't you just kind of raised in Christianity? Isn't that why you're a Christian? Didn't you just grow up in it? Well, this passage here would let us know something. That being in a culture of faith is not the same as having faith. That growing up a Christian does not necessarily give you an advantage. You know, I grew up in a pastor's home. I grew up thinking this, I don't need Jesus. I got Jesus. But, you know, if you take grace for granted, it'll be taken away. And if your attitude towards faith is this, I know, I know, I know, you don't know nothing. Because the attitude of salvation isn't I know, I know, I know. The attitude of salvation is I need, I need, I need. And so maybe you've grown up in the faith. You feel like, well, I got baptized when I was a kid, and, you know, I've grown up in this thing, and I've got it all together. You know, the more access you have, the more accountable you become. And every one of us needs to come to this place where we're not just going, oh, I've heard it all before. I've heard all the stories. I know all this. I've got it together. I've got my act together. We all need to come to a place of humility where we say, you know what? I need God's grace. I'm a spiritual outsider. I need to become a spiritual insider. That word repent means to change your mind. I told you before that there's two different ways to sin. There's the obvious way. You can just do bad stuff and be wrong to people and be selfish and be self-absorbed and, 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 and you know, do all the, all the Ten Commandments and everything. But no, there's another way to sin. That's a more devious way. And that's doing the right things for the wrong reasons. And oftentimes people raised in Christian cultures... They have that more devious sin. They're doing the right things, doing it for the wrong reasons. So everybody needs to repent. Everyone needs it. But then the second thing is that anyone can have it. Anyone can have it. Maybe you don't fall into that category. Maybe you weren't raised in church. Or maybe you were, and you've been away for a long time. This is the first time you've set set foot inside of a, a church property, if you can even call it that. This is like a ballroom that we rent. Maybe it's the first time you've been to church in a while and you think, man, I've gone too far. I've, I've, if you knew the kind of things that I've done, if you knew the things that I've done in my romantic life, if you knew the kind of drugs that I put into my body, if you knew the way I've betrayed people, the way I've lied, the way I've stolen, maybe you even are a murderer here today. It's not outside the realm of possibility. You need to know this. There is no hopeless case when it comes to grace. There is no lengths that you can go to that the love of God will not follow you. There's no depths you can descend to. He knows you to the bottom. He loves you to the skies. 
There's hope for you today. Everyone needs it, even the people who don't think they need it. And anyone can have it. Next thought is that it's a downpour, not a trickle. It's a downpour, not a trickle. People debate, you know, what kind of method of baptism. I've actually heard people say, you know, if you weren't baptized in our denomination, then you cannot be saved. You know what? That's, that's not salvation. That's manipulation. <laughs> that's not salvation. That's manipulation. It's not about the method. It's not about, oh, were you dunked or were you sprinkled? Was it when you were a baby or was it when you were this age? You know, it's not about this incantation. Like I said before, it's not a potion. It's a profession. It's going public with it. It's, it's just proclaiming the relationship that you already have. But there is something fascinating. The word baptize wasn't a religious word originally. The word baptize actually was just a normal word that you'd use for anything that was put into water. I'll throw the definition up there on the screen for you. The word baptizo in the Greek says this. It says that it was to dip repeatedly, to immerse, to submerge, to cleanse by dipping or submerging. Then, will everybody say this last one with me, this third one? To overwhelm. That's what I really like. To overwhelm. You know, there's some people who want a little squirt of God in their life. They want a little trickle. A little sprinkle. Just a little drop of God in their life. They want a little bit of God over here. You know, oh yeah, I'll come to church Sundays. and I'll come to church on maybe on Wednesday. I'll read my Bible once a week. You know, they want a little squirt. A little trickle. You know what baptism is? It's a statement saying, I don't want a trickle. I want a downpour. I want Jesus to flood into my life. I want him to rain on me, over me. I don't want to walk away just with a little squirt. I want to walk away totally soaked. I don't want the Portland mist. I want the Pacific City tsunami. That's what it is to be baptized. That you want God in every part of your heart. That he doesn't want just a part of your heart. He wants your whole soul. And that's what you're communicating when you get baptized. Because you realize that when God totally overtakes you, when he runs your life, it's not to ruin your life, it's to renew your life. He doesn't want to restrict you, make your life more boring, make your life more monotonous, more tedious, more rules, more guilt, more frustration. He comes to take away your guilt. He comes to wash away your sins. He comes to give you a new purpose, to to, to replace pain with purpose, to, to refuel you and refill you. And that's what baptism communicates. Now, you might be here this morning thinking, you know what? Kind of sounds a little scary, though. I don't know if I like the idea of a tsunami in my soul. Like, I, I don't know if I can handle the idea of God coming in and changing me and overtaking me. I actually talked to this girl who gave her life to Christ uh, uh, this past week when I was in New Mexico. And uh, she had come from a really hard background. I told her, I was like, man, in a couple years, you're not even going to recognize yourself. And she was like, that sounds scary. <laughs> but let me clarify a little bit. A couple weeks back, my little boy was in the hospital, okay? He got a fever of 103, all right? And, and we took him to the doctor once, and they said he was going to be okay, and they released him. But then his fever kept getting worse and worse and worse, and he was 103 for five days straight. So we took him to the emergency room, all right? And he got so dehydrated, he did not even have the strength to drink, 
So what did they have to do? They had to put an IV into his little arm, and it was like the hardest thing to watch. It made me cry. I actually was crying watching this. It was an intense experience. He got an IV in his arm. Those fluids came back into his body. You know, the idea of giving your life to Christ, letting him totally take over, that might scare you. But you know what? All of us, we're in a condition where we're so spiritually dry, we don't even have the strength to drink sometimes. We don't even have the ability to believe, the ability to think that God could change us. But I'll tell you this, if you give him your life, he will refresh you. He will refuel you. He'll reinvigorate you. He'll wash over you. He'll fill in every part, the driest parts, the most painful parts, your past, your background, the things that happened to you when you were little, the way you were divorced, the way you went through this tragedy, this trauma, this guilt. He'll wash over all of it. He'll refuel it. He'll work it together for your good and for his glory. Next is that obedience is easy when you know his essence. Obedience is easy when you know his essence. It's a famous passage. It's uh, written by Matthew, who was a, a tax collector, a guy who knew this firsthand. He used to rob people. He used to be a thug and a traitor. He became a follower of Jesus. He wrote this account of what happened after Jesus was risen from the dead. He said this, When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority and in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'll just stop with that whole thing. They, they worshipped him. These Jews who worshipped only God, who were fierce monotheists, their game was so flipped by Jesus being risen from the dead that even if you don't believe the resurrection, you have to somehow account for the fact that these Jews all of a sudden started worshipping a carpenter peasant. Okay, that's crazy. But I, but I think the text is even more remarkable. The Bible is amazing, okay? Because it's willing to acknowledge that some of those people doubted. That some of those people doubted. They, they even saw Jesus risen from the dead, and it wasn't like they instantly believed him. I mean, if I was writing a myth trying to convince people and cajole people and manipulate people to follow my way of thinking, I probably wouldn't admit that there were some doubters in the crowd. The Bible's amazing. You should read it. In fact, you should come hear a series on it. In fact, you should come hear a six-part series on it that's going to be really great. It's called Hammer Time. You should bring some friends. We'll talk more about that later. But let, let's move on. So he comes, he says he has all authority in heaven on earth, and he says to go into all the nations making disciples. That means committed learners, committed followers. Now that's why we started this church. That's why we're here on Burnside in Portland, Oregon, is because we want to make disciples. You realize that we're here because we actually believe the Great Commission, that we believe that there are people in this city who need Christ, who need to hear his message, who need hope. You know that we exist here. The reason why you get up Sunday mornings, the reason why we have a team tearing up this place, because I believe we can reach thousands and thousands of people in this city who are haunted by their past and they need a future and a hope. I believe that there are people in the city who simply think the gospel is rules to live by when really it's a reason to live for. Do you know that we're in this city because we want to see Jesus renewing minds, restoring hearts, reviving lives. That's what we want. We want Christ. Can we celebrate that? 
That's what we're about. We, we're about the Great Commission. We're living for that. You know, there are a lot of people in this city who would be offended by this. You know, people love the idea of God being a force. People love the idea of there being something out there, that there's something transcendent, that there's no coincidences, that everything happens for a reason. People like that. People like the idea of that, you know, something, there's got to be something bigger than me. I, I get that. But the Bible doesn't say that God is a force. The Bible says that God is a father, that he's a person. People would rather have God be a force because a force doesn't have an opinion. (laughs) A force doesn't have an opinion about the things you do. A force doesn't have an opinion about the way you live, the way you treat one another, what what you do with your free time. No, but this text, it tells us that God is a person, that God's an authority figure. That's very offensive to people. People don't like that idea. But you know what? What kind of authority figure is he? What is his essence? Well, this passage tells us that God isn't just a person, but that he's a trinity. That's even harder to swallow. That's even more difficult. It's like he's one being, three persons. This is mind-boggling. I mean, I do not have enough RAM to compute that equation. That's understandable. But let me tell you why it's so spectacular that God is a trinity. Because it tells you something about his essence. You see, if God were just one being and one person, you know, maybe like the Quran teaches, what would that mean? Well, that would mean for the, all of eternity previous, God was in and of himself. And that his chief essence is power. But if God is a trinity, that means that his chief essence is love. And that's what the Bible teaches, that for all of eternity past, there was a love relationship, that the, that the very essence of existence deep down is love between a father and son. And that love is so deep that that love is a person. The Bible talks about the spirit of love. And that even though it's beyond our comprehension, and even though it's transcendent, and it's more than I can possibly understand, if God really is a trinity, he's not simply just a God of power who demands that you submit but he's a God of love who invites you into that relationship and who will stop at nothing to bring a rebellious creation back into that relationship. God is a trinity because his essence is love, and when you know his essence, obedience is easy. So he says to baptize them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Spirit. If you look through the Bible, you begin at the beginning, at Genesis, it's a good place to start, you'll remember that it teaches that our first parents, that they rebelled against God. And that ever since then, there's been this skepticism, this reluctance, this distrust between us and the idea of God, and, and where we've really thought, you know what, if, if I hand my life over to him, maybe he will just ruin it. 
Maybe he will, he'll just trash me. Maybe he'll, he'll just restrict me and I'll become dull and boring and you know, all of a sudden I'll be voting differently and I'll just hate everything about him. Maybe there's that reluctance in you. This thought deep down that if I obey God, he'll abuse me. That if I let him run the show, he'll ruin me. There's that fear. But you know what? The cross, the cross tells us a different story. What does the cross tell us? Well, the cross says that God would stop at absolutely nothing to give you everything. That God was so obsessed with bringing us back into a love relationship with him that he said, you know what? If if they're sinful, if they deserve judgment, if they deserve death, if they deserve condemnation, I'm going to take that condemnation on myself. The cross tells us that God gave us himself so that we could could be one with him. We could be in unity with him. If you're here today and you're having trouble keeping God's commands, maybe it's because you've forgotten his character. Maybe it's because you've forgotten his essence. The more you know God's heart, the more you'll want to heed his word. We're going to have the band come back up on stage and we're going to close this thing off. And we started off talking about rituals. We started off talking about how this isn't just a simple, you know, superstitious thing, that it's really about your heart. It's really about trusting God, knowing who he is, believing him, walking with him every day. It's, it's about this relationship that grows and grows and grows and grows. But Jesus really did leave us two symbols. He left us two symbols, and that's communion and baptism. Communion and baptism. You know what? They both point to Christ's death. They both point to the fact that God would rather sacrifice himself than have to destroy us, that God would rather be condemned on the cross in Christ than ever condemn a single sinner. That's what both of these point to. Check out this verse in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. It says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. For we are those who've died to sin. How can we live in any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized were baptized into Christ Jesus' death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. People wonder this sometimes. They, they hear me talk about grace. They say, okay, it's not something you achieve. It's just a gift you receive. But you know what? Why would I obey if God's going to forgive? If God's just going to go on forgiving, why couldn't I go on sinning? One way you could put it is you could say, if Jesus is going to buy, why don't I just stack it up sky high? You know, when you know the essence of God's heart, you learn this. You learn that sin isn't just bad, that sin is lethal, that sin is fatal. You learn that sin is terminal and that what God wants for you is he wants life, that God's essence is love, that God's desire for you is grace, that his desire for you is freedom, and that freedom isn't just doing whatever feels good. Freedom is being free from whatever keeps you from your greatest good. 
And that what God wants for you more than anything is he wants you to enter into a life that is really life. So as you come up here, you get baptized, what are you saying? You're saying if God is love, if God is life, if sin is death, well, then this is my funeral. I'm done with the life that is death. I'm done with that way of life that ends in, in, in frustration, that ends in pain, that ends in, in divorce and trauma and backstabbing and cheating and lying. And I'm entering into a life that is love, that is forgiveness, that is humility, that is compassion, that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that it's kindness, goodness, peace, gentleness, that it's looking completely different. You're saying, I don't want just a trickle, just a sprinkle. I want a total downpour. So can we celebrate together that there are people in this church who are going to get baptized today? One of the guys up there running lights, his name's Mather. There's guys all around this place who are getting baptized. Can we just celebrate that with them, that we're so excited for them to make that proclamation? You know, maybe you're here today, and you've never entered into that relationship with Christ. You, you've come to church, maybe you've done religious things, but you've never come to that place where you just say, you know what, God, I'm done with my ways, they're death. I want to come and enter into your life. I want to come and surrender to you. I want you to be the Lord of my heart. I don't want you to just have part of my heart. I want my whole soul to be yours. I'm going to pray right now. And if that's you, I want to give you an invitation to enter in that relationship and to come up here and be baptized. Father, I just pray right now, as every head's bowed, as every eye is closed, I just pray that maybe somebody's here is come and, and they've seen the insiders make them feel like outsiders. They've seen the judgment. They've seen the hypocrisy. Well, Lord, today, maybe something's registering with them. They're saying, oh my gosh, God isn't this stuffy, religious, churchy, holier-than-thou guy. That's, that's a bunch of paganism. That's a bunch of lies. And they'd come and they'd see that you're a God of love that you're a God who wants life, that you want forgiveness, that you speak words of grace over them, that you see them as your, ch- as your son, your daughter, that you'd stop at nothing to bring them back from the ways of death that we all wander into. Lord, I pray that you'd give them the faith, give them the courage to put their trust in you right now. If that's you as everybody's praying. I just want to invite you to put your trust in Jesus. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand up. It's just a symbol just a sign of humility saying, you know what? I need that. I need a new start. I want to go to heaven when I die. I want to have hope in this life and hope beyond this life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand up on the count of three? I do it on the count of three because I think sometimes it's easy to procrastinate. It's easy to kind of dodge God's calls to turn your heart on airplane mode. If that's you, would you just put your hand up on the count of three? One, Jesus died for you. Two, he is risen from the dead. He is able to save you. Three, would you just put your hand in the air? You're saying you need Jesus. It's amazing. It's amazing. I see those hands. So spectacular. So spectacular. Just raise it up. Raise it up high. Well, like I said before, it's not about a ritual. It's about a relationship. You know how a relationship starts? A relationship starts with talking. And so right now, you're going to pray out loud. You're just going to talk to God. Everybody around you will pray with you to support you all across this church. Would you just pray this out loud? God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I've gone my own way. And that's death. But I trust in Jesus that he died in my place, that he's risen from the dead. Would you forgive me? Would you make me new? 
put my trust in you. Amen, amen, amen. So rad. All right. What we're going to do now is we're going to have this baptism. People going public with it. They're going Facebook official. They're making it loud and clear that their, their old past is washed away. They're dead in the waters of baptism. This is a funeral. Your old life's behind you. Your new life is ahead. We're going to have the band start playing. I'm going to go do a quick Clark Kent back there. We're going to have some people welcome you into the water. we got towels for you because I know you're going to be soaking wet. This is going to be really special. Let's stand and sing as these people come up. If you want to be baptized, don't be afraid. People are going to celebrate with you. We're going to be excited for you. You're just going to line up right here, okay? Line up right here by the stairs. We'll meet you down there.